But I didn't knew that the uh, Minister of Finance are like reptiles, they are cold-blooded. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't express emotions, they, they, they only understand numbers. <laughs> and he said, Carlos, you know, sorry, but no. And I was really disappointed. I went back to the drawing board with my staff for three months. I knew something. We were not talking the same level, channel, or language. No, we were two different languages using them. So I went back. It took me three months to, to work with the National University to do some studies about how much, about the value of some environmental services. And this is the, the we developed a methodology that was 1998. And this is what we did for 2002. We, this is the economic benefit of National Park to the local community, 2002, $834 million. At that time, it was around $600. We, we, we valued all things. I went back three months later, and I told you, Minister, now I'm prepared to talk with you. You want numbers? Here, take a look at this. And we showed him our things. The first thing we used was water for hydro productions. Uh, water for hydro productions. Uh, this is 2002 numbers. I showed him at that point 98 numbers, but it was still the same thing. I told him, water. Uh, we produce a lot of water out of national parks. This is just national parks. I'm not talking all the forests. Just national parks are 30% of the Costa Rican territory protected areas, 25%. Forests, I'm going to show you how much it is later on. But I told you, if you want to produce the same amount of water, of energy we produce with water from National Park by importing oil and burning it, we should be paying around $325 million. When I told him that, he kind of stopped with what he was doing and put me attention and looked to my eyes. <laughs> and I said, uh -huh, I caught him. So continue to give me information and this information was used by Italy again. But the most important thing is your national parks are generating 5.5% of the GMP and agriculture just 7%. <laughs> agriculture was the big, big contributor to the GMP and now it seems like it's not so big. And that's why uh, the minister approved immediately that same day that uh, loan with the World Bank and we were able to implement uh, Eco Market. We did it uh, throughout five years. We finished it uh, a year ago very successfully. So these are the numbers of 2004 of what we had been doing in the payment of environmental services, paying $42 for carbon sequestration. For, why $42? Because $42 is the, co the option cost of doing carbon ranching. So 86% 80, of that is dedicated to, um, to forest conservation. The rest is uh, tree plantation, we used to pay for management of uh, extractive activities, so extractive sustainable activities, which I don't believe they are sustainable. Of forest, we changed it into agroforestry. This is some results of equal markets. Some of the targets were way beyond what we expected very successfully. These are areas, and we introduced two things that were very inter interesting. One is paying uh, environmental services to, to women who own, because we began you know, even though this instrument or in all the previous instruments were designed to stop deforestation and protect biodiversity, we began to in, in introduce new, new objectives. One is gender. The program has been paying. We found out that there were a lot of some um, uh, women owning forests, very small patches, one hectare, three, five hectares. 
based on, on single women, uh, single mothers, single women, single mothers, uh, because they were left by their husband or because they were benefited by the grand reform program. There's a lot of women owning the land with forests in Costa Rica, and also. Most of these people who are beneficiaries of this program, they don't own a big forest. Most of them, they own small patches of land uh, where they have a few cows, a few uh, corn or coffee, and a few piece, a, a small piece of forest. So it complements other productive activities because just receiving $42 per hectare a year is not enough. But there's something very interesting. Indigenous community, we began to put a lot of emphasis in paying environmental services in indigenous communities. Through the last five years, we have increased the payment in around 800 million, 800 percent indigenous communities. Today, we pay around uh, $2 million a year for carbon sequestration and water production because now we're paying also water, and I'm going to explain later on how we do that to indigenous communities. This is uh, the tiny indigenous reserve, probably the first indigenous reserve in the world that is receiving payment for carbon sequestration. This has been around uh, three years ago in the, indigen in the Indian community. And I got here in my hand a check for $52,000. I was going to pay that day for, 50, uh, for carbon sequestration environmental service of the previous uh, year. And they were really eager to receive that payment, of course. <laughs> so I told them, you know, wait, wait, before I give you the check, let me, you know, what did you do with the check we gave you guys uh, the year before? And they say, okay, minister, are you ready to walk? So they show me 52 new homes, or repaired homes. They show me, you know, new school. They show me a new aqueduct. And this is very nice for me. This is the access road. Uh, uh, we were here, here in the town. It took us five hours to get here walking. This is the crisis. And they showed me the access road. And they told me, Minister, this is the first year we have resources to repair the access road because all the previous years, the only way to repair the access road was through the local owner of the sawmill down here in the valley. We asked him to help us repair the road in exchange of our timber. And this is the first time we were able to repair the road without selling our timber. And they were really, really happy at that. And also, I was very happy to see that no law, no tree was cut down just for repairing the access road. This picture, I took that picture. These are the kids of that Indian reserve. And uh, the Indian reserve, and people who live in the Indian reserves are probably the poorest guys in, in Costa Rica. And correct me, Ronnie, or just me if I'm wrong, but uh, indigenous communities are the poorest people in Costa Rica. But when you see them, you, you kind of get a feeling of, well, but there are, I see them well-dressed, well-fed, even I think they're quite happy. Yes, I agree with all of you. They are well-dressed, well-fed, they are well-educated. And in a way, when I hear the guys from the World Bank telling me how wrong wrong this, uh, how uh, wrong we, we have designed uh, the environmental payment program because it doesn't match what the uh, theory of academics tells us. Or when I hear your guys on the other stream telling that, uh, I'm not referring to you, Tom, that it is not worth valuing environmental services because this is a matter of, you know, capitalism. I really don't care what they tell me because they, it works. And it works not only 
to protect the environment, it works to increase the living and the living condition of people who live in or right next to the forest. When I took this picture, you know, like a chill went on my back and I said, my goodness, we have designed this instrument for protecting biodiversity and stopping deforestation, but we are doing something even more important, important which is improving the living conditions of many people. So we began to do some surveys and study about the social impact in poverty alleviation of the payment of environmental services. We come to something very interesting things. And from that day on, we began what we call the second generation of environmental services, where we began to get out of the forest as our only objective to pay environmental services and began paying environmental services in the whole landscape. Before that, we had to do something else which was very important. Remember that at the beginning of this presentation, I, I showed you that uh, there were four environmental services, water, carbon fixation, biodiversity, and landscape beauty. Well, we, at that point, we, were, we just internalized one of the four environmental services. The next one in line was water, and water is quite politically sensitive. So the first thing that we, we said, well, we need to fully internalize the ecological cost of water in public services. So I went to, the, to my president, I told him, you know, I, I need your support the same way we did it with the president who approved, uh, support us with the tax on fuel. We went uh, to the president and he, uh, uh, he made an exec executive order saying everybody should pay the real price of water, not just the cost of the service. So what we did, and this is quite complex, but is I'm going to show you. These are the different sectors, domestic, uh, hydro, industrial, uh, agriculture. They paid us an average 0.000014 of a cent per metric cube. That is probably like this, probably enough, zero. That was what they, they pay. In Costa Rica, if you if you are a water user, public or private, it's me, uh, big or small, you need a water concession. The water concession is given by the Ministry of Environment. <coughs> and you need to pay for the water concession. This is the average, what they pay. Costa Rica has the, the eighth highest per capita offer of water. So when you have so much water, you don't really value that resource. So I, I made my studies with the National University and I, and I wanted to do an adjustment in water concession or water fees and the study told me that I need to increase this 10,000%. That was the real value of ecological. So I went back to the president and I said, President, you know, I need your support. <laughs> I need to increase water tariff 10,000%. Of course, he, he, he laughed at me. The same way you're doing now, right now. He laughed at me. He said, you know, Carlos, you want to be minister the next weekend, you don't insist on that. <laughs> so I came up with an idea, and I said, well, oh, give me your support. Uh, I, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to negotiate with every single sector. So I began, you know, an educational process with many people in the country. And I took them to this protected area. This is not a protected area or a national park, this is a water factory. That was my idea. And I showed them the water factory. And I brought a lot of ministers, a lot of congressmen, a lot of businessmen who use water from this water sector. This is Tapanti National Park, 25 kilometers out of the capital city. We generate 100 megawatts out of water from these national parks, and we give drinking water 
to more than half a million people in the capital city. And nobody knew where the water was coming from. And I told them, you know, this is the most important water factory in the country. By the way, it is a national park. And do you know the budget that we have? $2,500 a year. That's the budget I have, besides the salaries of six park rangers. This is the salary, or this is the, the investment budget for the most important water factory in the country. So I, I developed this concept of the water factory, took 75 guys to this water factory throughout two years, and at the end, at the end, I was able to increase this, not a 10 or 10,000%. I was able to increase it um, to 2,500% through a process of seven years, through a gradual process of seven years. That was the agreement. I agreed it through a political negotiation with every single user of water. This means that, um, that uh, and, and all of those resources goes to two, two, two things. One is water governance. We need to invest a lot in water governance in Costa Rica. There's not a problem of uh, water offer. It's a, it's a problem of good governance. We need to invest in monitoring research. So half of those resources goes to that, and half of those resources go to, to invest in payment of environmental services to the watershed where the water is being catched. By increasing it 2,500%, I'm going to generate $16 million every year from year seven on. Remember I told you there's a system that is going to increment every single year. The most important thing here is that we are going to begin to pay water production to national parks because the mechanism was designed for private forests. Now we did something very important that was paying environmental services for water production to national parks. The budget of the national parks in Costa Rica is going to be double by just charging the water to the users, the water those national parks produce. And John, this is very interesting because we've been talking about lack of resources even in the north, uh, especially in the south, for administrating national parks. If we, if we come to design mechanisms where we charge for those environmental services to the users of those services of national parks, we may help a lot. Not resolve the problem, but help a lot. In the case of Costa Rica, we have a lot of parks at the middle and upper part of the watersheds, and those parks produce a lot of water. And there's a lot of water use, especially hydro. Costa Rica has an excellent record for energy production. 98.6 of the energy is produced by renewable sources. Out of that, probably 86 is produced by hydro. The rest is geothermal and wind. We have a very nice record. That's why Costa Rica is going to be the first carbon neutral country in the world by the end of this year, because we're doing that work. And most of it uh, comes um, by water from national parks. So hydro producers are really going to pay that. And that, of course, that cost is going to be translated to the final consumer. But consumers are willing to pay uh, for that environmental services because we have done our share of um, surveys where people are being educated and, and explained that they've been paying environmental services that are guaranteed their living condition. The interesting aspect here is that we don't need to think just within the forest to talk about environmental services. There's a lot of good environmental services being given by different land uses, uh, agroforestry, and silvopastoral activity. This is very good. This is very good for carbon sequestration. 
uh, and wire production. But we found out something very interesting. It's also good for biodiversity. We did a project called Fragments, the group of institutions, where we found out that uh, very interesting things there. We found out that there's a lot of biodiversity within the landscape, the farm landscape in cattle ranches. We never thought about that. Um, and we did a couple of things that were very interesting. We did some index of carbon. We, we, we did a lot of things, but the most important thing was we found out that if we go to the cattle ranch and we increase the forest cover, the tree cover in the cattle ranch, we will get two immediate benefits. One, we will increase meat production because cow does like shade. And second, we will increase environmental services by, by, by giving by that farm, by carbon sequestration and biodiversity. So we began to do a lot of studies about different land uses. And we went to the World Bank and we told them, you know, why don't we do a, a, a project where we pay environmental services for silver pastoral activities. By doing this, we did some indices of biodiversity in California, and we went to farmers. Um, this, well, this is this is Kenya's agricultural landscape, and this is the amount of uh, uh, biodiversity you find there in the farm compared to national park. There's a lot of wildlife there. If we never thought about that, we never knew about that. And there's a lot of corridors with the uh, animals going from one part to the other through those uh, landscapes. So it was important for us to keep those landscapes uh, quite good and improve the quality of those. And we did a lot of studies there. But the important thing here is that, uh, uh, that we can increase uh, the economic activities being meat production or environmental services by just in this case, uh, this is Ivan Gutierrez farm in Cañas. And Rodney knows very well this area because there was a OTS station around there and Nora as well. Look what happened to this farm where we changed dead fences to live fences. It dramatically changed the farm. That, that what happened, just changing dead fences to live fences. And this is a Nika hill in the um, um, Sparsa region. This, uh, this is uh, 14 years ago, look at today. Just by paying environmental services. We have happy biodiversity, happy <laughs> farmers, <laughs> and happy cows. <laughs> Everybody's happy, you know. <laughs> this is a good case of a win-win situation, and we use this as a good example how to restore. Because when we talk about environment and conservation in the tropics, we only talk about protection. And I mean, the, the, the work we have in our hands to restore is even bigger than protection. And we can restore land, because in the tropics, nature is really kind with us if we let her do her act. So this is a good example of how we can go outside the forest and restore areas, restore biodiversity, improve living conditions, and increase production in a, very, in a, in a quite balanced way. This is the map of Costa Rica with the farms of environmental services in 98. This is three years ago. 10% of the country is, is receiving payment for environmental services, 10% of the country. This is around, I don't know, I don't have the exact numbers, but I will you know, get, make a good guess, uh, 11,000 beneficiaries. 
they were receiving $42 per hectare per year plus, and we've been increasing that into probably in some cases uh, 50 something, almost 60. This year we're going all the country being paid for carbon uh, for water. And we began to, you know, talk about how we're going to internalize, internalize biodiversity use. Since we are not able to fully satisfy the annual demand because there's a high demand, for the payment uh, for the payment of the environmental services, we only we all, we can only satisfy. We have resources that come from carbon, from the tax on fuel resources coming from the water concession that just that they are they are just beginning to get in. We have the eco market uh, project that just ended. We have a grant from the German bank to support us. We are the, we are working in eco market too. I'm going to tell you later on. And uh, so annually, we put around 13, 14, or 15 million dollars a year to pay environmental services. But we are only able to fully satisfy just 25% of the annual demand. You, you sign a contract of five years with the government. We are now going to increase it from five years probably to 15 years to make it more uh, long. So what we have done since we cannot uh, fully satisfy the demand is, you know, set priorities. Where should we focus? Where we've been using water as a, a major priority. We know where the rural water supply systems are. And probably there's a lot of forest there, so we should be paying environmental services there. <coughs> there, were, there were the, uh, these are uh, aquifers. These are water, underground water catchments. And then we began to internalize other elements, uh, where the poor of the poorest live. And of course, if you put this map of social index with uh, forest cover, there's a, you know, people live, basically, uh, the poor people live where the forest is, so you have a good condition to help um, the poverty elevation programs. And this is the map, the dream, the conservation dream map of Costa Rica. We have here, you know, it's weird. Now we don't even show in Costa Rica the map of protected areas because we don't think just in protected areas exclusively as we did in the past. And for me, this is quite interesting because, you know, every presentation by every Costa Rican for the last 20 years, they always present the map of protected areas. And, and I come to realize that now we don't even present it. Well, national parks here are in this uh, light green, and these are the rest corridors. Uh, we have our dream map here where we are going to link every protected area uh, with corridors and uh, we've been working on this for 15 years and the question is how are we going to go and do it to consolidate that now by paying environmental services in those corridors keeping the people living there having their you know traditional activities there is going to be a real option so we are investing uh, resources uh, in those corridors and eco market the project help us to identify them and to work them also uh, the seven countries of the region from Mexico to Colombia they have the Mesoamerican biological corridor probably the biggest uh, 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 corridor effort by any nation in the world where we have eight nations uh, working in a Mesoamerican biological corridor with different stages of advance not much I would say in every single country, but Costa Rica is moving because it does, it does has more capacity. It's moving quite well with the corridors, but this this country proposal or based on the regional proposal of creating corridors there. So I think the environmental the payment for environmental services is going to help us a lot to consolidate this. 
So we began uh, one year ago to think how we are going to do to fully internalize the use of biodiversity to those users. You know, in Costa Rica, there's a lot of uh, the biggest industry in the country uses biodiversity. Some, some, some call it ecotourism, others call it uh, tourism. But uh, for me, it's very simple. It's an industry that uses biodiversity. It generates a lot of money, $1.6 billion a year. That's a lot of money. Uh, and part, the park service only receive 1% out of that, that's, an old, that's a big battle going on that, uh, down there. And I told, and I've been telling people, you, you, don't, you shouldn't go and proceed uh, to negotiate more resources to the park service based on what tourism makes it. Let's charge it by, you know, the program of payment of environmental services. So we have a lot of challenges here. The first one is, you know, we can increase access, access uh, the, the entrance fee of the national parks to really reflect the cost of biodiversity conservation. Yeah, that may be good, but it's not enough. Most of biodiversity users in Costa Rica never put a foot in the forest or in the protected area. Even the owner of the lodge, the owner of the airplane, the owner of the bus, the owner of the small restaurant, they don't, but they live out of in a direct or indirect use of biodiversity. So what we have done is we are going to begin with a pilot case that uh, DNC, CI has been supporting. This is Corcovado National Park. This is another Corcovado National Park, <laughs> the Costa Rican one, not the Chilean one. And here we have uh, Piedra Blanca National Park. And this is a corridor, which is a protected, a, a lightly protected area for reserving. And we have a lot of people and beautiful, beautiful tropical forest there. We have a lot of people living there, a lot of small farmers living. We know everybody who lives there. That's one of the most important things that Costa Rica has. If you want to do a, a mechanism to implement a payment or environmental service, you need a lot of national capacity. One, one of the you know, most basic elements is to have a system that tells you who owns the land and a legal system that can uh, verify that. I mean, when you go to the Amazon countries, you don't know who owns the land. And, and you cannot pay environmental services for people who doesn't have a right or a title. Well, here people doesn't have a title, but they have a right. And we've been, and we've been able to help them title the land. And they've been receiving in yellow and green payment for environmental services for carbon sequestration for the last 10 years. So we said, well, why don't we make an experiment and began paying them for jaguar conservation. This is a picture in this farm. This is a camera trap picture in this farm. Uh, these are, you know, reference pictures, but this one is a real one. <laughs> and in these red, red farms, we know that there are jaguars present because of tracks, because of fences or whatever. And we know that uh, this, uh, this park has the highest density of jaguars in the neotropics, Cordoval National Park. And, and we're really concerned that this small, relatively small, 44,000 hectares, and we need to consolidate them. So when I went to show the pictures of the jaguar to the owner of this farm, a small farmer, I told him, you know, we have this thing in mind. We are going to, you be receiving uh, $50 for carbon sequestration, and he says, yes, of course, you know, it's very important for me because it, it complements my, my income, 
Uh, are you interested in being paid for jaguar conservation? And we asked the farmer, and he said, well, what do I need to do? Just not to kill, not to poison any jaguar. And I said, and he said, well, yes, I would like to do that if you pay me for that. And we told him, yeah, sure. Then he asked, and do you allow me to buy a lot of pigs so I can attract a lot of jaguars to my farm? <laughs> <laughs> it was quite interesting and quite clear the ideas. He made a clear economical decision there. You know, if the jaguar uh, alive worth more, he's going to protect it. If the uh, if the jaguar is a nuisance, he's going to kill it. So we're going to begin. We we went to CI to the Law Conservation Fund and request and present them a case where we are going to begin a pilot project to pay for jaguar conservation for presence of endangered trees and endangered uh, orchids.